0: What's going on? Welcome to the AM Basketball Breakdown, where we talk everything hoops early in the morning. I'm your host, Adam Miller. It's time to hit the hardwood, so let's tip off this episode. All right, on today's episode of the AM Basketball Breakdown, I have my friend here, Chris Thomas from sunny Jacksonville, Florida, joining me on today's episode of the AM Basketball Breakdown to talk about the 2016 NBA Finals, Game 7. Chris, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Doing well. Doing well. Uh, An Exciting topic to talk about and uh, glad to be on the podcast.
0: Yeah, you were on my short list of people to have very early on. And honestly, this is a game that I have wanted to talk maybe more in depth with someone for a while. And honestly, I think we didn't actually watch this game together. So it'll be a good opportunity for us to kind of talk through things as before we had actually connected at all on basketball. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. this is uh, definitely a memorable game. Um, Remember where I was. I think I watched it actually with some other mutual friends. And so definitely a good one to remember. and, And yeah, excited.
0: Yes, and I, I remember going into this game as well, like my expectations, because I don't think any team, yeah, no team at this point had come back from a 3-1 deficit in the finals. And with playing against the Warriors that had a home record that NBA season of 39-2, and honestly, the odds of the Cavs actually winning this game, I think, were extremely low. And like you said, we didn't watch the game together. I was watching yeah. it with some other mutual friends. And I remember after the game, I stood up and had like my hands behind my head, honestly, pretty much in shock that the Cavs won this game. And yeah, it's just, I think I even go back watching it um, just in preparation for this podcast. And I look at the players on the court and I'm sort of like, man, I just, I still don't really know how they won this game. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can kind of get into more of that. Um just once we start walking through the game and kind of do a preview of the game beforehand. But yeah, going into this game seven, the average margin of victory was almost 20 points. Honestly, if you look at the series as a whole, besides this game, if you, if it was a six game series, just not a really good series, tons of blowouts. Um, This was the closest game, obviously the entire Series, like I said, average margin of victory was nearly 20 points. Golden State this year, they obviously had the 73 and nine record. But as the Bulls shirts said, when they previously had the best regular season record, 72 and 10 does not mean a thing without a ring. Very Absolutely. true. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, Golden State had a record of uh, home record of 39 and two. Um, regular season record going into this game. You obviously have Draymond being suspended for Game 5 of the NBA Finals for meeting his his technical count, correct? He had met, gone over his yeah, technical it, count.
1: It, yeah, and I think, actually, the, the infamous hit between the legs. On That's right, the yeah. Biggest superstar, um, obviously, with some of the other antics previously, kind of was a combination of, man, they the, the league feeling like they needed to do something. You're right, though, in looking at, you know, in my opinion, as a Cavaliers fan, if he plays in that game five, Draymond Green, Cleveland does not win. Cleveland does not win this championship. And I think specifically, too, if you're talking about who he was as an impact player, um, he led game seven. He had 32 points. Mm-hmm. It was 11 Yeah, he 15.
0: had 32 points.
1: Now. Four for four from the three throw line and they lost by four points. Um, I think it just was a significant blow for them because if you look at that Golden State team, he truly was the glue guy. He Mm -hmm. did whatever was necessary. He did was, but him getting suspended and the way that he got suspended, it really it really changed the outcome of the series. Some would argue for the better. One being myself.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You can even say that now that he Somewhat is the guy that kind of keeps the team together. But it is interesting we can talk about this more at the end on just looking back at Draymond's early antics um, almost eight years ago at this point. Yeah, just thinking about recent news, um, recent things happening this season, and how none of that has really changed. But yeah, kind of just as I've walked through just the series prior before this game, you as a Cavs fan, you as a really big LeBron fan. I had kind of walked through what I was thinking on my end on how I thought this game was going to go. But what was your gut prediction on what was going to happen in this game? I think
1: going into this game, um, there's there's a, I think you have to talk to two different Chris's. I think there was a Chris who I would say is a pretty rational basketball fan collectively, knowing Mm -hmm. the talent, knowing the, efficiencies of Golden State and saying I don't like the Cavaliers chances in this game. As a as the fan of Cleveland, there was this weird feeling of we're winning this game. Mm -hmm. And that delusion, um, part of it honestly comes with with LeBron in saying um you just knew that he was gonna do enough. And it was just that that very confident hope and that he was going to do enough to will this team. Uh, to victory. And so that's looking back on that team and looking back on that roster and going into it, you're not looking at it being like, man, you know, this is a dominant um, roster to roster with Golden State. Uh, Kevin Love was playing pretty well. Tristan Mm -hmm. Thompson at the center role was doing his job, but it was nothing magical. Mm -hmm. Kyrie was coming into his own as a player. Um, J.R. Smith, who would go through spurts of efficiency and really lacking, including game seven. So, but there was still this just fandom delusion of like, we're going to win this game. Um, So thinking back on the game itself and all the ebbs and flows of the series, it really felt like, and you pointed it, the margin of victory. Mm -hmm. It felt like who's going to get up, who is going to be in a position to win. And that ultimately felt like where you needed to be around um, halfway through third quarter. You thought somebody would make a separation. And, and like you said, this was the, few, the, the the one game of the series where that separation didn't really happen until the entire game, really, winning by four.
0: Right, right. It happened right under three minutes left in the game. Yeah. But yeah, going into the series, I can talk through kind of Curry's legacy at this point. He had just won his second MVP, unanimous MVP, one of the only unanimous MVPs in NBA history, and was going into this off of a second title, going to, trying to win a second title. But the previous year series, I think a lot of people looked at Golden State and were like, "Okay, they they obviously they won. Um, they had a very easy path to the finals, just due to a lot of star players getting hurt." on their way to the finals in 2015 and even in the series against the Cavs that previous summer with all the injuries that they had the second best player that LeBron had next to him was Matthew Dellavedova who didn't even play in this game and I didn't have a chance to look back but I'm have to expect he wasn't even really in the rotation at all but yeah I've kind of just talked through like what this maybe would have validated um for Steph, and also Just putting the Warriors in the conversation with the 96 Bulls as the best team of all time. That was at stake for this game as well. But I'm wondering from your perspective, what going into the series, what would have this game have affected for LeBron's legacy with just him having those previous titles in Miami and then coming back to Cleveland and trying to get that first title for Cleveland, Cleveland sports in 50 years.
1: Yeah. Um, as I wrap a Cleveland Guardians hat. Um, yeah. I, so one thing that's one thing I think it's really important. Actually, I want to touch on very quickly. Golden mm-hmm. State's legacy, specifically Steph. In hindsight, eight years removed. This, this was a defining um, legacy builder for him. You think if he wins this, um, their success. And obviously it's still Steph became everything and was everything that we thought. Um, mm-hmm. but in terms of I think one of the things looking at this game in particular for Golden State, the dynamic and the conversation around a shooting jump, a, a shoot a jump shooting team and winning the championship. there was so much around a, a, a jump shooting team is inconsistent. They can't win the championship. They can't win the championship. They don't have that DNA. I think through them even getting there and them having the success that they did, really has changed and evolved. What the expectations of shooting? What the expectation on guard heavy play? Looking at Steph and the volume of threes taken, and even in this past eight years, you look at how that trickled down, even down to the high school and elementary level. Uh, positive and negative, depending on how you look at it. But Steph right. changed the culture of basketball a lot. You go to a high school game now, and it's you're going to chuck up a lot of threes. We're going to get to the basket. It has evolved into the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson style of play. For LeBron, I think this is the most defining win of his legacy. Mm -hmm. And specifically because um, when he's in Cleveland, and he's drafted by Cleveland as a hometown boy and from Akron, um, there were a lot of things he wanted to do for the city of Cleveland. He wanted to bring a championship home. And in that first run with Cleveland, um, didn't have the pieces, or the tools around him, didn't, I think he was still learning what it meant to be a leader, um, what it meant to be a, a champion. And he didn't have all the necessary pieces. But so him coming back from Miami to this situation to bring a championship with the roster that he did, mm-hmm. I think it was one of the most impressive and, and defining things of his, his career, because you look at Cleveland and you look at all of the different elements in this team was was not built, in my opinion, perfectly to assist LeBron. Um, LeBron LeBron's legacy is known for his passing, his playmaking ability, his ability to go downhill. Um, one of the best things that LeBron has around him is when he has great shooters. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love to know who we're going to consider the best shooter on this team. It, it probably is Tyree. and then Jr. Really Smith. Eddie, probably, Jr. Smith. Yeah you could you could then probably you're probably then going to have to plug in either kevin love or richard jefferson as your third or fourth option from a driving kick perspective. and so i think for lebron i think it's so impressive because he put his pieces in the right spots uh to be successful. and so for him coming back adding to his legacy, adding to the wins, it it erased any as a cleveland fan. Any negativity that people had as a Cleveland fan when he left, um, this just wiped it all off the board, and he was nothing but um, he could do no wrong after this championship, and and for a lot of Cleveland fans, cementing that legacy of being, um, if not the greatest, one of one of the top five greatest of all times.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and it honestly, in a way, it helped validate his decision that he made the right decision leaving originally um to go to Miami which we can get more into that kind of at the end but as we're going through this game and I'm going to kind of walk through things quarter by quarter walk me through just the like different co- coaching strategies that Tyron Lue did for the Cavs and even Steve Kerr for the Warriors in game 7 were there any like key decisions that stood out <coughs> honestly I think Lou ran circles around Steve Kerr in this game. I can point to a few things that I kind of texted you about earlier before recording this, but I'm just wondering from your perspective, like what stood out from you just for the coaching decisions that were made throughout this game?
1: Yeah, I think there's the two things that stand out um, to me off of the bat that Lou did that were um, really significant in this Um Game seven, specifically Game Seven Two, would tried to kill himself in chasing Steph Curry,
0: mm-hmm. running
1: all over the place and doing everything. You think about the fact that it was a coach's decision for him not to play. He had a little bit of nagging injury, but for him to lean on Shumpert and truly collectively to lean on the fact that they were going to have switches, that strategic switches, knowing when they were going to switch to Steph, knowing when they were going to switch to Clay but ultimately relying on that defense to force the ball into Draymond's hands and to say, Draymond, here's what's going to happen. We're going to put the ball in your hands, and you're going to have to score more points than you're used to and accustomed to scoring. Mm-hmm. For Steph Curry enforcing him into tough, long shots, he went four of 14 from three, finished the night with 17 points.
0: Mm-hmm. If yeah, you were it-
1: told me you could have held Steph and Clay mm-hmm. to under 35 points, uh, then, then collectively
0: shot twenty five percent from three for this game,
1: and that I believe is fully a testament to them saying, um, going over top of screens. Anytime there's a hedge, they're going over the top on that. Mm-hmm. They're not letting the confusion between the switches happen. Where the with it's a pick and roll, and the big is dropping, or multiple times where Harrison Barnes is getting the ball, he's he's um, engaging in that switch. They're saying, hey. We know who's going to beat us in this game. It was Klay Thompson, and it's Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. And they said we're not going to have that happen. We're going to put the ball. We're going to make. We're going to make Draymond go get 32. We're going to force them off of screens, and then ultimately, just in that way of playing that aggressive defense from the front, and then offensively, not forcing the issue. Um, I, and I think, in a lot of ways, he he put the the responsibility on lebron and kyrie and said this is your game to win go make it happen
0: yeah and to, um, your, you... to your point on that too van gundy i remember saying a lot in this game specifically in the fourth quarter he would say that like cleveland's not doing a great job at getting quickly into their sets which honestly i think that's part of their strategy is they're wanting the right Absolutely. matchup to go at
1: this game if this game was um I would probably say in the one tens, Golden State wins this game.
2: Mm-hmm. If they
1: were playing at a pace where it's one tens, they needed to do everything to slow them down because one of the most heartbreaking things with this Golden State team is playing great defense and them mm-hmm. getting a last second three or a second uh, opportunity, offensive rebound, second opportunity. So they really did not get into their sets quickly. and I do believe that Lou had that intentional saying, I want to do high percentage and the best the best uh, motion that they ran was truly um, when LeBron and Kyrie would work off of each other, but that set wasn't always organic, or it was organic, excuse me. So oftentimes, think about how many times in this game you have Kyrie operating more as a small forward, not even a shooting guard, mm-hmm. where he would start in the bottom corner, LeBron have the ball, and then he would come up and initiate the offense, or he would come up and they would be able to run a flow off of them. Then it allowed for LeBron and Kyrie to play make, to JR, open in the corner for three. Uh, he had two threes in that game that were big, um, really kind of dumping where needed. But that that's a big part of this because from a collective bench scoring, it wasn't there. Cleveland's bench had 10 points. Uh, this was not... Um, putting it as a col- as big of a collective team effort, offensively as saying, "Hey, let's let's make sure our guys, our top two guys, are getting the shots that they think are the best."
0: Right, and yeah, that's like one of Golden State's mottos is like strength in numbers. They had a much deeper team than the Cavs, and for the in order for like the Cavs to win, Kyrie and LeBron really needed to carry the load in this game. But yeah, let me go ahead and just walk through. The first half quickly. One thing, and I'm going to get more into this with you when we go through the second half. That Kurt decided to do at the start of the game was he started to decided to start Festus Azili. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the first three or four plays in the game, which I thought was a little odd. They tried to run the offense through him, doing like dribble handoffs, having him pass out of the post. And honestly, I look at a player like him, and I'm like, I just don't understand why you would necessarily go that route. And Kevin Love at the start of this game, and even throughout the game, you see it very early on, he's having a big effect, not only on the defensive rebounding, but also on the offensive rebounding. But at the end of this quarter, Cleveland has a one-point lead. And going into the second quarter, Mark Jackson, he even brought up that LeBron, he could get to the rim at will, he could do whatever he wanted. Same thing with Irving, when they got the switch that they wanted, when either Curry or Clay were um guarding him like he could just score almost on every possession but at the end of the half cleveland collectively they're one for 14 from three but they're only down by seven so you look at that from a Cavs fan or just a Cavs team perspective like that's that's a pretty good trade-off there which is seeing what this golden state team can do and the fact that you are not shooting well But yeah, we go into the third quarter, and Kerr, he decides to bring back Festus Azili to start the second half. I thought there were points in this game when he had a player like Maurice Spates Spates playing, and you look at the plus-minus at the end of the game. Granted, he only played like five minutes. You look at the plus-minus for Azili and Veragel both, they're collectively like a negative eight and negative nine. Spates is a plus-five. And honestly, I think having a big like that in the game and maybe having more of a small ball lineup would have benefited Golden State more just because I think Spades is a type of player he can hit a jump shot consistently, spread the floor. And honestly, he's more agile and having to guard pick and rolls. But yeah, Absolutely. I think I think like from your perspective, though, what do you think of like Kerr's decision bringing back Vestas to start the second half when honestly, I'm looking <clears> at this in the first half and I'm like, this is not, this is not working well.
1: Yeah. So in in his mind, in Kerr's mind, my my opinion is he had he was thinking of spacing. So if I have a guy from an operating standpoint of a space, a verjal, or even even let's say they you know, he played heavy minutes uh, and in Andre Igudala, I think what he was trying to do was to ensure there was a presence. Now, arguably, a p- true post-presence now arguably the problem for the Golden State Warriors was uh, Festus is not an offensively gifted center into mm-hmm. um, the game with zero points from a starting, 0 for four. He did not command the attention that I believe Kerr was trying to inject, because right. ultimately, they, he wanted to say, "I want it to be four on four at the top. Post-presence, I want to take Tristan out of the game. I want to take Kevin out of the game when they're guarding him. And ultimately, that just didn't happen. Like, you think about that from a starting center role. Rebounds defensively, like offensive rebounds. To not have a single point means that you are not commanding enough of everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Finishing the game with uh, two rebounds, that just is a lack of production and I think that's really what killed Steve. Rather than having the five best players on the floor, he tried to do spacing to have a true big, to demand the ball. But ultimately, and the Golden State Warriors have shown in recent past, they mm-hmm. don't have to have a true center to be able to make their style of play work. So I actually think that that uh, from Steve actually backfired because ultimately he he had four offensive players on the floor at any given time. And he didn't have the ability to stretch him ever because anywhere outside of four feet and he was ineffective. And in this game, anything within four feet, he was ineffective. So it ultimately didn't help him spread. If anything, it allowed for uh, Tristan or Kevin or whoever is on him at the time to ha- be more willing to help, to be more willing to know, hey, I don't have to worry about that offensive production because there's none to be seen.
0: hmm right. And even like when Vera Zhao came in in that third quarter as well. They tried to do something similar to they did with Azealy at the start of the game where they just tried to run the offense through Varejo. And I mean, we're getting at a point in the game where game's getting close to the end, score is tight, and that led to three turnovers with either Steph miscommunicating a pass to Varejo or Varejo just turning the ball over. But at yeah. the end of the third, Golden State, they have a one-point lead. And in the fourth quarter, we're going back and forth the entire time game is really close. And at this point we're under six minutes and the warriors have a four point lead. And I'm honestly thinking to myself that this game's over. They have control. They had their small ball lineup in the game. And I'm like last game of the year, it's sort of like baseball in some ways when you're in a game seven, you're trying to throw everything you have at a team. And if it's working, I would, I wouldn't change it. But Kerr, in this situation, he decided to bring Azealy back in the game under six minutes. He switches out to LeBron on the perimeter, like you said. Cleveland's being very patient on what sets they're trying to get, and he fouls LeBron on a three. LeBron makes those throws. Very next possession, same thing happens. LeBron gets him on a switch and makes a three and all of a sudden Golden State doesn't have that momentum and the game is stagnant. It's close within one or two points until we get under three minutes. And we probably, we have the two most important plays of the game back to back um, leading up to the block famous block by LeBron Kyrie's going in for, a layup on the left side and nine times out of 10, or even like 10 times out of 10, that's going to connect with the left side of the backboard and it's either going to go in or it's going to rim out completely misses. It It goes on the opposite side, on the right side of the court, golden state grabs it and immediately starts a fast break as this plays developing Chris. And you see LeBron come in from the backside. He's, about half court by the time Golden State has the ball past the three point line. Did you think he was blocking this? Cuz I'm watching over and I'm like I don't know. Like I I understand like this is just a patent move, but what yeah. were you thinking as this play was developing?
1: So this goes back to the the fandom delusion of just knowing um regardless of rationale. Um, really when I knew he was going to block it was when uh, Iguodala had to kind of slow down his momentum a little bit mm-hmm. when he gathered and LeBron was still at the three-throw line during this, mm-hmm. knew it was getting blocked. Knew it was getting blocked. The only thing I remember specifically in that moment, I was like, I- he's getting the ball. In my head, actually, I do remember thinking, don't goaltend. Um, I-, I thought there was a possibility he wasn't going to get there quite in time. But close. I knew he was going to get to the he was. It was very close. Um, And that goes back to that delusional fan and seeing that play so many times where LeBron times it to where he'll let a player get in front. He's fine with that. And he is going to come up from behind and he is going to swat it. Now, I honestly, I think this is also something that I've talked to with other friends about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this is Andre two years prior, he dunks that. Yeah. He just, he dunks that thing and there's no question. The fact that he didn't dunk it is a very significant thing in how it played out. Because, I mean, Andre's known for his athleticism. He's known for his ability to get to the rim. Mm-hmm. And for him to lay that in really gave LeBron enough time. When he gathered to go up instead of the dunk, It, it, it knew he it was going to block it. Um, The speed in which LeBron started running probably four or five feet before half court,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: he didn't look at where Andre was. He put his head down, and then when he got to about the three-throw line, looked up and knew, and and, and that's why I knew. You know, it was a heat-seeking missile, and it was a black blur, and you just knew he was going to erase that. Um, It was one of the most – for for LeBron's defense – which I personally don't think is talked about enough from a communication standpoint. From an athletic standpoint, this is uh, in the air, one of the most dynamic defensive players in terms of the weak side block, in terms of the chase down block. And it truly was um, a game saving uh, play in my opinion.
0: No, it it definitely was. And we look at another play um, just on the very, next few possessions where the game is tied at this point at 89 and like we said earlier Cleveland is very deliberate they're not moving the ball or swinging the ball around a lot they're waiting for them to get the right switch and Kyrie gets a switch on Curry and goes to work and hits that three to give the Cavs a three-point lead right at the end of the game i'm wondering just your thoughts on this i've kind of put both of these plays together collectively because i think they're the most important secrets in this game and in the series where would you rank let's just say this collectively is one play where would you rank this like on the hierarchy <coughs> of finals moments obviously i think jordan shot against the jazz, um, to seal that game is probably up there, but this has to be top five, right?
1: Um, without a question, Mm -hmm. without a question, when you want to talk to about the dynamic of who this team was, this was, this was Goliath, this team and everything that this team had done up to this point was Goliath. And you look at the small market team of Cleveland and who they had, um, and really putting it in the hands, like I said before, of, of their two best players. This was what they had hoped the two best players could do collectively together. You have LeBron impacting it on the defensive end. And then you have Kyrie not um, not going out of his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I've seen this move and this step over from Kyrie many times. And, and so I think I personally um, would probably put it it's one or two. I think you, I think you have some Jordan moments. I think you have some other really significant moments, but in terms of how the series had been playing out in terms of the margin of victory and this being a close game with the legacy of the golden state warriors, arguably being talked about as being compared to the the, the Chicago bulls Mm -hmm. and their historic run. I think this puts it at, at one or two in terms of the most significant plays for for basketball, specifically Game 7, and just c- cementing a legacy. Um, you talk about if they lose this game or those plays don't happen, mm-hmm. we're talking about the Golden Warriors winning this championship.
0: Exactly. So, and and yeah.
1: directly being able to point to that, it is, it's right there.
0: No, yeah, it's definitely up there. I don't know if I would agree on the um it being number one in the finals but i think if you're just looking at a game seven for the finals i do agree with you i think it's it's probably number one um but yeah um kind of getting more to the end of this game and uh um, if it's
1: adam i'll push back on that if yeah. it's if it's number one of game seven of the finals mm-hmm. the most defining game is there any other play that's bigger than It's the it's the pinnacle of the pinnacle. What can be bigger than that?
0: Yeah, I still feel like it is Jordan's game six shot against the Jazz. Just the fact that we have a
1: game seven, though. We have a game seven where he could just get 35 and do
0: his thing. I know, but that game specifically, they're playing a game seven in Utah, and that Bulls team, not arguing like Jordan's greatness at all. That Bulls team is crumbling and he's individually carrying them. I don't For know sure. if they went I don't know if they win a game seven in Utah if they don't win that game six that's that's more of my argument, but yeah that's fair, but yeah, I think as we're looking at the end of this game, the Warriors, they miss a couple shots. Kyrie he gets the ball on <laughs> I think he creates his own fast break and kind of gets panicked a little bit and almost turns the ball over. And this leads to a foul, and then eventually Kyrie penetrating in the paint and passing to LeBron for a dunk where he gets fouled by Draymond to at least keep Golden State (coughs) in the game. LeBron splits his free throws. Golden State comes down and misses a three um, just to keep the game winnable. And at that point, the game's over. Cleveland wins. They come back. Down from 3 1. They win game seven. First title in Cleveland sports in 50 years. We can talk through the meaning of what this game means. Um, personally, for LeBron and personally for the Cavs, I figure we save the better things for last. And one question I have for you as we're looking at this game, is it easy enough to just say the Warriors didn't shoot well?
1: um that that's a great question i think you if you say that then we take away a little bit from lou's decision on how right specifically for this game seven he he went into it um but i i think it's a fair it's a fair argument i think that argument goes back into the bigger discussion of a jump shooting team and Mm. the inconsistencies of a jump shooting team which you 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 if you with this team specifically if you would have told me that clay's not hot steph's not hot um your leading score is going to be draymond i i I would say yeah right like that just doesn't make sense like so Mm -hmm. i think you can say if looking at the skills of those players and looking at who they are it is a combination of this was a poor shooting night for them and and mixed with uh, Lou making some pivotal decisions defensively, to put them in awkward situations, to having to rely on other players, um, because at the end of the day, if you can keep a shooter like Steph Curry, Steph what Steph Curry uh, went two for fourteen on the night, mm-hmm. and Clay went two for ten. You can keep those guys. Clay shooting twenty percent, um, you'll take that all day long.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a combination of not only their bad performance and this extremely important game, but also lose coaching decisions as well. The Warriors, they had a historic 73 and nine regular season. They fell short in the finals. Um, honestly, when I'm watching through this game again or thinking of like prepping for this podcast, I had entirely forgotten about their regular season record this year. And this basically, this makes that team, this historically great regular season team, forgettable, right? Yeah, it really does. And I think for
1: them, where the biggest area of where they missed on this game, they shot 41 Mm three-pointers. And I get that that's your bread and butter, but Stephen Curry, who is also a great penetrator and a great initiator of contact and finishing and all these things shot one three throw Mm -hmm. you're telling me that in these moments there wasn't more of an emphasis on that team to drive the ball to the hole they took 13 field goals on the night
2: Mm -hmm.
1: like you have to be initiating more contact collectively they went 10 of 13 on the on the night from three uh shooting Cleveland went 21 to 25. You're telling me that at no point Steve said, guys, get to the hole. The only one that was doing that was Draymond. Draymond had went four for four on the night from, from free throws. But when you're two guys between Clay and Steph only shooting one free throw, that's, that's ludicrous. Like You have to initiate that and put some of the onus on the referees because they're going to get those calls. This wasn't a thing of just being able, uh, the refs taking it into their hands or not giving them calls. You shot 41 threes. Mm -hmm. You lived and died by the three-point line. And in a game that was four points, Steph getting three more three throws and getting an and one or Clay getting to the bucket one more time wins them this game. And they never put the onus on their players to go get it. And that is partially what I believe also lost in the game.
0: Yeah, and I mean... Even to your point, like I think with them penetrating, they don't necessarily need to be going for layups, but like they could go for mid range shots, their threats as the shooters, like throw a pump fake in there, try to get to the free throw line based on that. But yeah, to your point, yeah. like they didn't concentrate on that at all and honestly fell into the trap that I think a lot of teams today fall into, where it's just let's just shoot as many threes, hope we get good shots, and hope that they go in. But honestly, I mean, you have a higher you have a higher percentage shot if you're getting into the lane every time.
1: Absolutely. And what are you scared of? What mm-hmm. Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson? Like, yeah. are you like from a shot blocking <laughs> perspective? Like this isn't this isn't Victor or Gobert or somebody where you're staring down the pipe saying, "What are we going to do when we get there?" You got mm-hmm. Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love. Like they're barely going to alter your shot enough to not drop. Um, put them in foul trouble. Put them in positions. And and I really and again like I said I think that's a big thing that put them in, in the difference in LeBron getting to the the free throw line ten times, uh, Kyrie getting to the free throw line four times, um, Kevin Love driving, Tristan Thompson went to the free throw line four times more than than Clay Thompson because <laughs> Clay never drove the ball that is ludicrous. Yeah. So a lot of that is just you know I think a a poor decision on. Golden State's part to not drive the ball more.
0: Right, exactly. And as we're looking at the end of this game, we're looking at this in retrospect, but right after this game, I'm going to talk more specifically about Curry. Um, He didn't play great in their first championship. Iguodala actually won that finals MVP. Of course, he gets two titles later with, Durant and then honestly, you mean Durant
1: got two titles later after he got, got yeah,
0: there. Yeah, yeah, after he got there. And the fourth title really, I think, helped validate him more as a player because he was the best player on the court. He played consistently well that series against the Celtics. And yeah, you look at this game right afterwards and you're like, in big moments, like this guy may have a title, he may have two MVPs. He's kind of a choker though. And these really big we, games
1: going into this spring after this, they're still talking about splitting Kyrie and, and stuff up. That's the discussion. And the question, there are people asking that question. Do we split these two up similar to say, I don't know, the Boston Celtics and splitting mm-hmm. up uh, Tatum and Brown.
0: Do you, because you mean they Curry have been splitting, splitting them up? Curry and yes, splitting them oh, up. Okay. Yep. okay. Yeah.
1: Um, and that, and that, I think, if, if Steph wins this and is dominant like he had been throughout the regular season, that's not even a conversation worth having. That's just ludicrous. But the mm-hmm. fact that they didn't perform well, um, it's something that you look at every time you come close and you don't win. Um, I, I think for Steph, and two with him not winning the MVP previously, this was a defining moment for him of who he was going to be. That's why I actually think the Kevin Durant thing is significant in that you're right. The last championship of Curry's, Curry was the guy, and it was mm-hmm. all on his shoulders. Um, in their first championship, and him not winning MVP, we acknowledge that Curry was great. But he was we didn't great to get them to him. that point. Yes. So then you're talking about his legacy, and and imagine if they don't get Kevin Durant. Is Steph mm-hmm. just one of the, you know, not arguably the best shooter of all time, which truly, I think he's the best shooter of all time. Is he just a great player at that point? If do you he does, him, that doesn't pan out.
0: Do you put him in the same conversation as someone like even Isaiah Thomas that has two titles?
1: If he, if they lose and then that's where his legacy ends. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. where you know, you had all the tangible and all the pieces, but as so many would say, he didn't have the, the Mamba mentality that killer instinct in the finals. Because again, we're not talking about the regular season. We're not talking about all of the things that we've seen him do. We're Mm -hmm. talking about getting it done and taking the championship home. Absolutely. He would be getting that reputation then. Or, And this is one that we don't talk about a lot with Steph. Or happening to have, he's not a true number one. He's not the guy. Mm. Um, And I think that it's a narrative he escaped. but it is something that if he if he doesn't go on to have future success even out without Kevin Durant i think it is something that we would look at and say mm, i don't i don't know i don't know about him
0: right no i think that's exactly right that's why i think not only getting those two additional rings with durant but even that fourth one helping just validate his career previously up until that point but Since you're the LeBron expert here, can you walk me through LeBron's reaction right after the game and why this title meant so much more than even his first championship when we're just looking at his legacy as a player as a whole?
1: Uh, It was a combination of relief and expectations. You look at what LeBron had done in Miami and the expectation of he's going to do this in Cleveland. You look at the promises and the things talked about prior to leaving to go to Miami. LeBron's expression, his embrace of the trophy was a combination of I did what I said I was going to do and I am who I said I am. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you, it was the euphoria of I can breathe. I brought home I brought a championship home, and I think that really kind of was his mindset of you know the people who were mad that I left, the people who said I let them down, some of the haters and the people saying, Um you weren't able to do it, you had to have the big three, you had to have all these things. I think this really for him was just a relief of no, I'm still that guy, and I did it for for my first love and who who I came to the league and who drafted me. And so I think for him, it's just that relief factor paired with um, bringing a championship home just made everything even that much more special, special.
0: Yeah. It's one of those moments, not only in finals history, but in sports when you can tell just from the player and how they're reacting. This means so much more beyond the sport that they're in. Like, this is where he grew up. He knew in a lot of ways with him the way he left Cleveland with doing the live announcement and even all the stuff that happened after that point with the not one, not two, not three, not four like finals prediction. He had burned a lot of bridges up until this point. And I think in like the grand scheme of things like you can tell how much this title meant to him um not just from winning his third championship but like you said lifting that weight um off his shoulders this is one thing i was thinking through just as i'm walking through everything that lebron had done with his decision to originally leave cleveland and go to miami come back to Cleveland and try to make things right. So it's going to be an outlandish question. Do you think this is the best redemption story in sports?
1: <clears throat> um, I, so my immediate gut reaction is no. And the okay. biggest reason why I don't think so is because when I think of a redemption story, it doesn't have the accolades or the ability um, normally, it's somebody who has fallen significantly or who has mm-hmm. fought in a significant way to come back. And the reason why I, I preemptively say, no, that doesn't make sense or no. That mm-hmm. doesn't is because he's at the pinnacle. Uh, yeah. there is no question who the best player in the league was during this time. There is mm-hmm. no question on uh, everything else that he had done. this This was. A continuation of greatness, in my opinion, more than a redemption right. story, which typically has a low of "I wasn't and then I became." And so, I mm-hmm. think for him, I think for him, if he went to Miami and didn't win and then mm-hmm. came back, then I think you're correct. But okay. the, the, what he did in Miami and the success that he had, and even even with the decision, and I and I fully recognize I am a LeBron fan and I'm a fan, I did not blame him when he left. I think when you look at the, the promises of all the things they could do possibly,
2: mm-hmm. he
1: got there so many times. You you look at, at how they truly were close to almost doing the not you know the countdown, the four, the five, the six. I think for his legacy, this was just a fulfillment of things that that he said he was going to do
0: right. so
1: no i don't think i don't think of this personally as a redemption but i think that um he may he may just from the standpoint of all the emotion of of the big decision to leave um and then to come back
0: yeah no definitely that makes that makes a lot of sense like lebron already up until this point was at the top of the league he still had at A few years several years left in his prime so yeah that makes a lot of sense that he really like either didn't come back from a major injury or he'd already won a couple titles up until that point but yeah just a couple final questions for us to talk through just as we end today's show um honestly the big question always about around lebron is lebron jordan Obviously, Jordan's going to have him on the six finals, no losses. LeBron obviously has him on the finals appearances, but specifically from this championship, if we're going to have that conversation when LeBron finally retires, I think he needs to win one more title. Jury's out on whether or not that's going to happen, if he's going to be in the right situation for that to happen. But how would, like, how does this championship – affect the lebron and jordan debates if we're going to have that conversation
1: i think i think if anything it just continued it um Mm -hmm. if he lost this back home it was it's over i don't think there is a discussion um you know and i'm uh i i I look at it and say in getting there there is so much um (laughs) there's so much to be said in just getting there but at the end of the day, championships is what matters. And so for him mm-hmm. to, to get there and close it out allowed for the conversation to continue. Um, you, you, with the debate between those two, um, it it will forever be a perception game of if you value the 6-0 versus the appearance versus the how different they are as players, all these mm-hmm. different things, specifically for this championship, for a lot of people that were maybe on the fence allowed for it to be more of a conversation than going into this point because again he's coming off of a year with miami where where there was no reason they shouldn't have done it again they had already won in 12 and 13 why aren't they winning 14. so i think i think what it did for most people is it allowed for the narrative to continue and the debate and the barbershop talk to keep going because um, he is the closest example to someone that can touch Jordan.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, he still has time in order to do that. As a Celtics fan, I hope the Lakers don't get another title, but I'm honestly wondering if he's going to stay. The, end up staying in there for his next couple of years. Jury's out on that, but
1: we Jury will, is out.
0: Yep, we will see. I think um,
1: I. You know, my, my opinion is I actually think he will move on. And the reason why is because I actually think a lot of it has to do with Bronny Um, after the heart condition and the different things that happened with Bronny. Mm -hmm. I think that that shift, Bronny shouldn't go to the draft this year. Um, He hasn't had enough minutes. He hasn't had enough exposure. He shouldn't. And Mm -hmm. so I think for LeBron and with this LA team, um, unfortunately I don't think they have the right pieces around them. I don't think that Anthony Davis is lived up to his end of the bargain um Mm -hmm. so I do think he ends up moving on but it will be interesting to
0: see what happens no that would be a good conversation for me to bring you back on if and when that happens yeah but yeah just as we're looking at that LeBron and Jordan debate and this will get into my last point um for LeBron winning this game Honestly, I think it put some fear and doubt in a lot of other players and star players in the league where, hey, this guy has figured us out. He knows how to beat us now. Let's all play together. And I'll get into this more after the last question. But this is our final question is this the most important NBA game in the last 10 years, not only for what this meant for LeBron's legacy, but also how it set the stage for the NBA for the next few years?
1: Man, this is a great question. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it from a totality, my answer is yes. And, he, mm-hmm. and specifically to, not just with LeBron and what that did. This is this is a top three game, Game Seven. This right. it, what everything that happened here, um, the, the the Game six, um, 1998 with the Bulls in Utah. Mm-hmm. You've got um, in the eighties, you've got LA versus Philadelphia. You have some other very significant games, but I think one of the biggest pieces, and we alluded to it earlier was the significance of how basketball has changed because of Steph Curry. Mm -hmm. From a legacy standpoint of who this helped devolve Curry into as a player, as well as LeBron's legacy and where things went, this game arguably was another, basketball has changed in how it's played. Look at the past 10 years and how things have shifted. Look at how things have changed in terms of Who's shooting the ball, and your point guard being that scoring threat? We don't have true point guards anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, Stephen Curry has changed all that. We have Damon Lillard. We have we have Trey Young. We have these guys. You look at who we have from a point forward perspective. LeBron changed that, and really, you know, we had it in Magic, and then it disappeared. It came back, and it has stayed. And who's running the point forward? You have guys like Ben Simmons. You have guys like Pablo. You have these bigger guards. That are initiating and running offenses consistently, and it's here to stay. I think if you look at it from, could you look at it in this game and say, did it change how basketball is played today? Absolutely. If I look at the game six, um, that's looked at as a Jordan game. Nothing mm-hmm. really changed. People didn't look at at the Jazz and say, man, the pick and roll. It's you know, it's the new thing. It's you know it, ch- it didn't change the next ten years of basketball. Uh, this game did it really
0: did no it definitely did and honestly it put the league really on pause for the next few years just as durant is on the warriors now honestly i'm looking at the starting five and i'm like this may be one of the best starting fives in nba history you have curry you have clay you have Draymond, you have iguodala and you have durant and honestly I think a lot of this decision wouldn't have been made if the Warriors won that title, won the 2016 NBA Finals. I don't think Draymond necessarily makes that call in the parking lot after the game, the rumored (laughs) call where he's crying in the parking lot after the game asking for Kevin Durant to join the team. And honestly, I wonder if Durant ends up staying in Oklahoma City. Um, But yeah, it's just an interesting game not only for LeBron's well not only for the ripple effects around the league but also just for LeBron's legacy as a whole and the fact that yeah not everyone was all already on notice but like the Warriors were a two-year juggernaut at that point that not a lot of teams were able to figure out
2: and he was
0: finally able to crack the code and put everyone on notice but Yeah, that actually, that ends our conversation today, Chris, about the 2016 NBA Finals Game 7. Preparing for this, I already knew a little bit um, about this game, but it was super helpful to have you on. And honestly, for us to walk through this for the first time, because we didn't watch this game together. But yeah, yeah, you've been a um, big sticking point for kind of getting this podcast off the ground I've joked with some people that know me and I'm like my friend that I talk basketball with all the time he moved away so I just got myself a microphone and now I just talk to myself but it was good it was good to have you on and kind of just um, catch up and yeah just have a really good conversation about a very important NBA game but thanks for thanks for joining Chris hope to have you on in the future